Welcome to Time in the Market, a podcast that profiles investors and their journeys. Time in the Market is brought to you by Shareholder Vote Exchange, the world's first marketplace for shareholder voting rights. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment advice. Please enjoy the show. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Stephen, and today I have the great pleasure of bringing on Tron from Sleepwell Investments. Trung writes on Substack as well as on Seeking Alpha, and today we'll talk all about his investment style, his journey as an investor, and we'll also touch on him as a content creator. So first, Trung, um, would you just give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and the content that you create? Uh, hi, Stephen. Really nice to be on your podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Um, actually, this is my first uh, podcast, so <laughs> I'm very excited. I grew up in Vietnam and I came to the UK uh, when I was 15, 2001. And um, I sort of um, been on the fence of, uh, you know, moving back to Vietnam or stay in UK for a long time. Um, but I really enjoy the interactions and the community in, in UK, especially regarding investing. Um, so I've, I've, I've stayed and made a career uh, out of it um, up until now. And uh, just to cut it really quickly, I, I write uh, Sleepwell Investments um, to really focus on um, really high quality market leaders, one that are already time tested. And I really like them because um, it's really easy to track them um, and see how they progress uh, and see how they can manage uh, through uncertainties in the future, which there are plenty of. So, um, yeah, and ultimately it's just to help me as an investor to simplify my investing journey and to uh, sleep well, really. How would you characterize yourself as an investor? Uh, reading through your step stack, I get the sense that you're very much value, but you also care about growth and quality. Uh, I'm curious to hear in your own words how you would say your investment style is. Um, I guess um, I don't really have a particular style, but I do mix uh, them uh, in super investments because of also my history of, of, of investing. I first started just purely blind picking stocks. Uh, stuff that I really know, uh, but I don't know much about the fundamental of it. Um, but then I knew very early on that it's just not the way to do it. Um, and then um, I went through a period of uh, very deep value investing um, um, sort of philosophy when I was in organizing a value investing meetup in London. Um, and this was uh, for three, five years pre-COVID um, because uh, at the time, you know, the, the bull market was still going strong um, and, 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 and also looking back, value investing is very much obsessed with price and pricing is always seem to be the reason for, for, for all the investments. Um, and when I realized that I, um, I felt that that's, that's very, um, I'm not sure what's the word, but monotone. Um, it needs more aspect to investing. So I explore growth. Uh, growth did all right for a while in COVID, as you know. Then 
uh, with growth stock. Um, it, most of the companies are very in their early stage of life and it's very hard to predict how the future will be um, with them. So I fall into the trap of, you know, fear of missing out. So a lot of my growth stock uh, got really destroyed. And um, so, yeah, that's that journey from blind picking to value investing and growth um, made me, well, I, I made so much arrows from it. Um, so I wanted to combine into uh, an investing style that suits um, suits my new journey. I mean, to to be able to capture capture the growth, capture the stability of a business, and also being able to own it at a reasonable uh, valuation. And I I hope that in my newsletter I will be able to find, uh, you know, um, the so called compounders. Um, and um, yeah, and simplify my investing um, journey. There you have it. One other thing I noticed is you're not very sector specific. So you're sector mm. agnostic when it comes to investing. And uh, of the picks that you have unveiled so far, I see CrowdStrike, mm -hmm. you know, cybersecurity. I see mm -hmm. uh, Shumano, which I learned this morning is a big Mm -hmm. A component of uh, a component manufacturer of bicycles. I see floor and decor. Mm -hmm. I see Thor, which makes the RVs. Uh, it's a very, yeah. very broad swath and very, very mm -hmm. different industries. So, um, yeah. is there an industry that you like the most, or are there industries that you won't touch? Um, I'm very mm -hmm. impressed by by this wide selection. Um, thank you. To be honest with you, I think for me, investing, uh, like I mentioned, it should really re reflect um, your style and your life, perhaps. And I think um, investing should be joyful as well. And these stocks that you just mentioned just kind of gave me joy when I start to look at them. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a kind of a amateur cyclist. I use bikes all the time. So that's why I love digging into the components of bike and I fix them myself. And sometimes I can't fix them because I don't have the skill, but because I know the company, I know that, you know, what's sort of component is, is good quality and what is cheap. So it brings me joy to be able to, um, kind of, integrate what I do in life into to to my investing as well. Um, that's why I'm very interested in um, Shimano or MIPS, which is also a, a bike-related company. It does the, the security system for helmets. It's the only one that really um, has been able to capture such a big market. And then there are the other part, which is a floor and decor, which is uh, all about DIY and, and home building. And um, and I I love to renovate my house by myself, learning DIY tips. So yeah, I mean, it really resonates with my life um, because I want to um, you know have a I have a very simple life and I um, I have a lot of activity in nature. So it kind of reflects the, the stuff that, that you see, and um, it's it's almost life and investing kind of go hand in hand, and and I try to do that because then you can do it for a very long period of time if you have both. So um, that's, that's how I pick my stuff, really. This is very similar to the Peter Lynch mantra of investing. And Peter Lynch, 
uh, was is one of my favorite investors. And uh, I read mm. all three of his books right out of college mm. as I was entering the uh, investments landscape. And Peter Lynch is all about invest in what you know. And uh, mm. uh, Peter Lynch, of course, is the famous Fidelity Magellan fund manager that outperformed mm. the market in the 80s. I see that you've kind of married uh, a bunch of different investment frameworks together. So maybe subconsciously, there's some like Peter Lynch in there, but I also see mm -hmm. Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile mm -hmm. framework, as well as the mm -hmm. framework of several other folks. Why did you actually, what frameworks are part of your investment framework and why did you choose those uh, sources of inspiration? Um. Yeah, I, I guess also goes back to a lot of the mistakes that I make um, in value investing. I mean, I I managed to build up a lot of experience and wealth in value investing period, but mostly because it was in a right time, you know, in the bull market. Um, but I've made mistakes uh, along the way, and I've made a lot of mistakes in growth stocks, and um, I've always interested in quality stocks. Um, so when I started to read more about quality companies. I, I come across a lot of names, uh, famous investors. Um, some of them, I think, in 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 Europe, and he's less well known, but um, he's where he's the one that I really made me start building this framework, and he's called Anthony Dedden. Um, he's a Swiss-based um, investor, a very private man. There's probably one or two interview of him in the whole internet, and. Um, it's, uh, his talks are not directly about company analysis or go deep dive into certain companies, but it's just a whole philosophy and framework um, that helped me to think about investing, uh, which is he managed companies uh, and asset in a way that he thinks about the client's um, asset as um, finite. So when he thinks everything is finite, so the share you own, the company that you own, the asset, the savings are finite, you, it really forces you to be very careful about your selection. And that's, that goes really um, goes into every single point of my framework. Um, and that's why I also look into things like, um, there are key questions really. Uh, one is, can, you know, is the company going to survive um, has it survived you know multiple crises before um, has you know has it outlasted competitors and has it got all the ingredients to outlast uh, future threats I haven't really been able to add more to what Anthony Dedden has has mentioned but um, if I go down the list um, I would say that I have managed to refine it a little bit by uh, prioritizing the competitors uh, analysis. So I used to just com compare direct competitors. Now I really try to look at threats from competitors that are not in the same industries. And I think just be uh, it, it is quite relevant because it, a lot of companies are very comfortable with their market positions and they know very well their direct competitors. But then because the platform that we are at and the technology age that we're in, we are able to um, adapt our company models very easily. So practically anyone can be a threat. So what I've refined recently is I look at you know companies who are not in the market yet, 
um, but are able to do it. So that really helps me to think even further um, down the line, you know, to see whether the company will be relevant in 20 or 30 years. Um, yeah, so um, I kind of married a lot of what I've heard, but also try to refine as I go along. Yeah, basically just continuously trying to improve it. Very interesting. Would you say the competitive advantage of a company and market share are factors that are most important to you when you analyze stocks? Um, yes, I, I think market shares encompass a lot of factors. Um, uh, you know, company gaining market shares is a result of their, um, you know, able to increase the price by or selling more or acquiring raw material at a lower cost, giving them a competitive advantage to uh, expand to new markets, expand to new products. Um, and obviously that really helps them to uh, have better return on investment. And, and as they keep doing so um, and repeat the process, they will be able to gain more market share. I, I have this thesis tracking tools that I use um, after all the deep dives, which is to track the market shares. And it's very different to all companies. It's not just revenue growth, but it's also the, uh, I track customer wins and losses and um, industry reviews or customer reviews just to really dig, deep dive into why market share has been gaining or losing. And if a company has been going a certain direction for you know few quarters or one or two years and you know that fundamentally you have to recheck the thesis so i think market share really encompass a lot of um, um of key metrics that investor would look at but i try to adapt it to every company to make it more company specific how do you find the metrics used to track market share over time i think most generic analyst reports or the one that you have to pay for they usually just look at growth uh, re revenue growth for me i um i i do that as well uh, but i also uh, as i mentioned i look at the customer wins and losses but um it's not just about the metric of who won you know x percentage of the market but it's all how they win it and when you look at the the details why they win a customer or how they lose a customer, it's actually a more important factor to me because it speaks volume about the product strength, um, the value prop of the of the whole um, service that they provide. And then of course I checked um, the customer reviews or I checked alternative data. For example, for MIPS and Shimano, I can go into different teams of uh, the top tournaments say uh, racing tournaments like Tour de France um, and see which team and how many teams are wearing MIPS or Shimano's products and then that sometimes is a better indication of just oh they sell more this year than competitors but if you are already representing uh, more brands um, in certain competitions that happened only say a few months ago that's a good indication of say in one or two years uh, market share uh, picture really um, so yeah it's, it's a combination of things and it's different to all uh, all companies that I, I, I cover interesting uh, one point I want to emphasize in what you just said is it's not just market share that's important it's also mind share 
what consumers perceive the specific product or service. Mm. Uh, That's a very good point. I am also curious to hear how slash why and when you started Sleepwell Investments. I think that the name makes a lot of sense because you're buying high quality companies that mm-hmm. will be good long-term investments. So they're sleep well mm-hmm. investments. But um, mm-hmm. why did you start writing this blog and what are you trying to get out of it? I've done um, writing a blog you know, on, on finance and, and stocks for a long time, perhaps in uh, 2016, 17, and before that, uh, on more private um, blocks. Um, so that's been uh, a good six, seven years. And I've learned so much, many mistakes just from um, from posting my thesis uh, out to the world. I get a lot of pushback, lots of uh, good criticisms. And I think that's the main reason why I did it in the first place. It's not to be really... Um, be better than anyone else just to improve me as a, an investor uh, on a personal level and sleep well investments is my personal blog now uh, that i've done for over a year um, and i really wanted to do it in my own format whereas in, on seeking alpha you have certain format you have to follow and um, sometimes you and and also the audience as well the audience is different um, on Seeking Alpha, I think there's more appetite for long form and very detailed uh, investing. And I and I think since I've been posting on it, I get lots more feedbacks. Um, and and it really helped me to improve. Um, and so I think that's just the main reason why I want to do it. I just want to improve. And I, I don't know what I will get out of it because I think it's a very long journey. If I do it for one or two years, maybe uh, I, you know, um, for now I feel joy that I have very early supporters um, and they, you know, make comments and they do private message to me. Um, but I think I have to do it for, you know, at least another few years just to see um, what I can really give people you know, and, and really show people the value that I can add um, to their investing journey. I guess in a nutshell, it's, it's all about making in, investing um, simple and joyful uh, because the stocks I, I follow are usually something that is quite relatable. And uh, yeah, and the stock I write about are, are market leaders already. So they, they are likely to keep winning. Um, so that really helps to, to sleep well. I see what you mean when you say, when you write something and put it out there, you'll get feedback from other people. I read somewhere on your blog, uh, you have this list of people on Twitter who are all short sellers, or they're they're very bearish as their investment uh, philosophy. Mm. Uh, You following these guys on Twitter uh, is reinforces the point about getting alternative views on a particular subject. And I know the feeling when a stock I own gets a short seller's report out. Mm. It's uh, it's not mm. a good feeling. It makes you question the fundamentals of why you made the decision in the first place. Mm. When it comes to writing your Substack, um, I saw mm. this portfolio is going to be is supposed to be redeemed in twenty thirty seven. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that's and, right. And then it's going to eventually be twenty stocks. 
and it's for your daughter. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is, um, I, I feel like most people's uh, investment journeys are, oh, this is my retirement nest egg, or this is has a big mm-hmm. question mark over it. Mm-hmm. What specifically made you want to uh, start this portfolio from scratch for your daughter to be redeemed in you know mm-hmm. decades from now? I guess, yeah, like like investing um, as as in in life, uh, you have to have joy in it, and you have to have a purpose, and it also has to be something that really lasts. Because anything that doesn't last, uh, I think, defeat the joyful part of it. Um, kind of. So I I really wanted to um, set up something that is purposeful, um, that motivates me to do it um as long as i can and 20 uh, 37 is a year that my daughter will turn 18 in the uk you you kind of um own the portfolio of your parents who, who created for you um it's also resonate with the long term um mindset that i i want to uh, show in 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 my investing and and also to help people to uh think about you know investing long term because it's such a difficult playing field to 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 be on. Um, the bull market aside, it's really tough to make any money. Uh, it's almost impossible to beat the market. So um, the only way to do it is to have a longer uh, term. And and I think it really proved in many of the investors that the most successful ones are usually the ones who invested for decades, at least. Um, and so uh, if we are constantly um, uh, distracted by, you know, financial gurus and market news, uh, you know, it really make a really bad habit for yourself. And, and when you have such a short-term habit, it's, it's very tough to do well in investing. So um, doing it for my daughter and showing to the world uh, that I'm building something that I want to own for at least 14 years and hopefully my daughter will find it um, that they will still exist then and she'll continue to own it. It's something that um, really resonates with uh, longevity uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's really an edge for, for a smaller uh, investor. Of the stocks that you're unveiling slowly in the portfolio on Substack, <laughs> are these positions that you've owned in the past and stocks that you know, or are they mostly new ideas that have come up? Most of them I know before already. Um, I followed them perhaps three, four years or even more. Um, but it takes a lot of turning rocks to really find um, something that uh, that you feel that. Well, I'm writing. I'm doing it for my daughter, so I really need to find something that when my daughter opened the account the, the you know the company is still there <laughs> um so I've, I've followed this company for a long time uh, i've owned a few before I've, I've written them in my personal portfolio um and some of them i've waited for years to be able to own them um and a lot of the deep dives i've sent out i've never really buy them you know after i've done the research i continue to attract them for quarters and quarters and um and really see when they hit that range where I feel like if I own it now in ten years time, even if I buy at a slightly high price today, um, I'll still be okay. 
uh, there is certain amount of um you know you have to be patient really once you've done the work absolutely absolutely to close off i have a series of rapid fire questions for you so you can just give me the first thing that comes off the top of your head who is one of your favorite investors and why uh, i've mentioned already but it's going to be anthony dedant and the reason is um well he doesn't really show his portfolio um but i really like the framework and i think that using the framework that he has really can uh a, an, an investor can really not just change their investing style um to make it uh long lasting but also um you know a way of life um so that you can enjoy as well yeah what's one underrated book or resource related to investing that you found to be very helpful in the past there's there's quite a few you mentioned peter lynch already which i've read many years ago and i still resonate with him a lot um but i think the day one um culture mentality of jeff bejos really uh helps me because he it's it's all about making mistakes it's all about trying new things and um and and you never know that you know one day things might not work so you you keep trying and you keep getting back up um and i think for him it's it's really funny when people ask him what's day 2 and for him it's is about the painful decline and uh obsolescence so i think they want a mentality if pe- i think people will gain a lot just uh, from reading that another one of jeff bezos's famous frameworks is the regret minimalization framework um this is mm. personally a framework that has really resonated with me because when i was thinking about joining the startup shareholder vote exchange you know it's it's not a it's not an easy decision to uh dedicate a lot of your time and energy mm. uh to to a venture that uh, statistically speaking is very likely to fail mm. i of course believed in the mission of the company i believe that you know uh, retail investors have this asset mm. in their portfolio that they don't use and they should uh, either use it or be paid for it it was actually jeff bezos's framework that helped me make this decision for me mm. i was thinking you know in 50 years will i regret staying in my job uh, working in finance in chicago or will i regret joining this startup and mm. i think uh for me given my risk tolerance because i'm still relatively young and given the market opportunity and potential to make something i of course chose the startup uh we'll mm. see we'll, we'll check back in a, a couple decades uh when your daughter finally receives her portfolio uh we'll see <laughs> if i if i personally made the right decision yeah i think it's a great framework to follow um I think life is about a journey. It's not always to get to the destination quickly. You might very well be very rich by now if you've been in the bank. Um uh, but having this journey, this opportunity that comes to you now, it might not never come to you again. And it even it could be a mistake, but it's is a journey and I think you'll be much stronger um after this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh last two questions for you. What is one of the worst investments that you've made? I have many. 
and mostly in growth stock, to be honest with you. I think it's it's very much, um, it's not about the analysis. It's about the mentality that I come into it, you know, not doing due diligence deeply before entering a stock um, and following the market. And it's so easy to follow market because you got all these tickers, green and red every day. You got Twitter, you got a lot of platform that are telling you to buy and sell every day. And I think once you make that mistake of following someone uh, blindly, not doing the due diligence, you will keep doing it again and again because it gives you the short um, adrenaline to buy and sell. And yeah, so I think I've made a lot of mistakes in in growth stocks. And, and that's why I, I, I had a lot of reflection and refined my investing um, for, 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 for today, really. Okay. And hopefully we can end on a brighter note. What's one mm. of your best investments of all time? Hard to say. Uh, in terms of value, I think it would have been a few value stock that I've done in the past. Um, I don't know if you heard of it, Intrepid Potash. Uh, which is the company that produced potash and fertilizer. And back in the day when it was um, turning into a company that also produced uh, water for oil and gas, the company valuations and multiple completely changed. And that really was a big investment for me. But um, the other one I want to mention is uh, Pax Global was a number four, number three uh, point of sales producer. And... um, since since 2015 to now, it has managed to come to the second largest, uh, shoulder to shoulder to Ingenico and Verifone, which are the incumbents that they've been there top two forever. And that has, that has really made a big difference in my life, really. Um, and I continue to follow the stock and I still own some of it. Okay, so Intrepid Potash, uh, ticker IPI. And then yeah. Pax Global is uh, is uh, ADR because it's based in Hong Kong. And ticker for yeah. that, uh, the ADR is PXGYF, correct? Yes, but then I I, I trade, uh, I buy the shares uh, from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which is a 0327. Uh, that's the ticket number. <laughs> I, I see. So you buy it directly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the, the Tokyo Stock Exchange and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and some of the China equity exchanges still use the numeric tickers, which blows my mind because uh, I think it makes things so much more difficult to remember. That's, that's, that is the case. Yeah, you get confused all the time. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, Trong, this was um, great to have you on our show. Uh, it was really interesting to hear about your investment framework and hear about the purpose and mission behind why you started Sleepwell Investments. So I think our listeners had a great time listening and uh, it was a great conversation from my point of view as well. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Really a pleasure to be on the show. My first one and I really enjoy it. So hopefully be on a second one at some point in the future with you again. (laughs) Sounds good.